This is Rockin' Vino, the podcast about wine and music and how the two go so well together. Find new episodes every Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever podcasts are offered. Find the show online at rockinvino.com and on social media at rockinvino. And we are back for yet another week of the... The shelter-in-place editions of Rock and Vino. Still getting by. We're, we're getting there. there. I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not sure. But I'm going to say there is. Uh, been featuring a lot of cool people in the, in the last few weeks, um, sort of with the, the shelter-in-place theme. And obviously, everyone uh, looking for looking for content, looking for things to do <laughs> in, as uh, well, there's uh, the shelter-in-place and uh, have... A really cool option that uh, is brand new that's launched. Uh, it is Som TV. Uh, it is think of it as, as Netflix for food and wine. So there, there's so much so much to dive into here, and uh, and one one film in particular on Som TV that we're going to dive into um, real, a lot deeper here. And uh, so we welcome Jason Wise. He's a filmmaker and he's also uh, the founder of of Som TV. Jason, thanks so much for taking uh, taking the time. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So, uh, let's let's start a little bit with your background. Uh, you're a filmmaker. Some people may know you from uh, from the Psalm series uh, of films. Uh, how did you get started in this, and how did you find sort of food and wine a, as a passion to tell the story of? Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm going to try to make that a, con- a concise answer. <laughs> you know, as far as as far as uh, there's kind of two parts to that. One is the filmmaking thing, and that was something I kind of. That's, that goes back as far as I can remember wanting to make films, but I didn't necessarily step in and try to go, I'm going to make a documentary or I'm going to make, you know, I thought I'd be working with actors. And I sort of ended up in the food and wine space kind of on accident. You know, I was trying to make a film that took place during World War One, and one of my friends started going through the Master Sommelier exam, and that was a guy named Brian McClintock, who's one of the main characters in my first film, Psalm. And so I sort of saw him practicing, and I was looking around like, this is, I've never seen anything like this. You know, just, it's like a sports film with guys, you know, messing with each other. And, you know, it felt like a sports movie, but it was about wine. And so I kind of, I kind of just started following them and realized, man, if there's a great story here. And if it's not great, I messed it up. <laughs> and so I, I made that movie we were filming at that time. God, prior to that, I was bartending. So I was around wine, but I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. So... I wasn't exactly in what many people would consider the wine and food mecca of the world, unless you like, you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? So anyways, I sort of did that and and traveled the world with that. I directed a travel show and ended up making three Psalm films. And we launched Psalm TV with, with after that. And so it's been, it's been a very gradual surprising path, I would say for me. That's great, and I believe uh, I believe you're working on the next the uh, Psalm film in the series, correct? Yes, I'm. Like, I feel like I'm in a Twilight Zone episode. There is no escaping <laughs> the Psalm film situation. No, we are. We uh, as as we've been making these. I mean, obviously they're all character driven, this and that. But none of the films are the same. And I don't know if any of your listeners have watched the movies or, but you know, from the first to the third, they're very different movies. But they they do have some of the same cast, and they're obviously set within the wine world. And the fourth one. It's called The Cup of Salvation. It'll come out later this year, at least it's planned to. Um, we're filmed all over the Middle East, and it, it, is, it is quite an ambitious project, for sure. So there's a fourth one coming. Now, how does filming work in the time that we're in right now? Does that, I assume that kind of halts everything. Are you still able to sort of make pro- little progress on that, or has that changed up uh, your schedule and things? 
Oh, that's a great question. You know, for so for Sound TV being a streaming service like Netflix or whatever, we don't have the luxury of just like, all right, something happened, so we're not going to put up new content. So we have we've instituted a couple things. One, we're very lucky that we've shot our tails off for the last decade. And we really have worked very hard. And so we have a very substantial library of things. But on top of that, we have found a way to ship kits to people, proper microphones, and we've been doing things, you know, interviews and such, at home. I mean, it's, it's a pain in the butt to, to keep it going <laughs> at the moment and very stressful on the people that are in it. And obviously, the restaurant business and the wine business is in shambles, to say the least, at the moment. So it's been, it's been a challenge, but I will say, I think these are the kind of things, if you're a, if you're a filmmaker, you either see opportunity in them or you give up. And for us, we kind of see quite a bit of opportunities, amazing stories developing out of this. And yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging, though. It really is. Now, for Psalm TV itself, um, it, it's amazing something like this hadn't existed already. Like I said, it's kind of Netflix for food and wine uh, programming. Uh, how did you, where did the idea come for this, and uh, what kinds of things can people find on there? Sure. The idea came from, I mean, I agree with you. I, for me, it was kind of like, why aren't there more people like us, or why don't we have a home? Why don't we have a place to go to, like, you know, where it mixes entertainment and education, and you want to learn about a grape. You don't know anything about Albarino, but you want to learn about it, but personality-driven and all this stuff. And places like Netflix, you know, there's some of that, but it's not really education. And places like YouTube are a disaster. I wouldn't even recommend going <laughs> to, try to, to try to learn. So it was kind of one of those things. We looked at it, and we were like, but the other thing was, every time we make one of these films, we have to figure out, where does it go? Who do we sell it to? And then, you know, you'll get someone like Netflix or Hulu and they say, here's what the film is worth. And we would look at each other and go, but, but why is it worth that amount? And we'd say, well, that's because that's what we're willing to pay for it. And I would think, God, you know, there's a much bigger audience for this stuff that I feel that represents. And so that's part of why we decided it was kind of time to take matters into our own hands, start this. But it's also, we're not alone. There's a lot of other filmmakers and a lot of other projects that really, really could benefit by being in one place with a lot of uh, like content. And I think uh, if you think about food and wine, it's not a genre. I mean, there are films about food and wine that take place in the middle of war. There are food and wine things that have to do with religion. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily, there are genres within that genre. And so we really wanted a, a chance to open up and be in a place where you could explore all of that crazy stuff. So, you know, plus uh, we just want to drink all day and work. So this is a good opportunity. <laughs> so Psalm TV, it's pretty, um, it's pretty amazing. Now, for those, um, like, how do you find it? If you were, if you were just finding out about Psalm TV and are interested about watching all the amazing content that you guys provide, how can people um, get access to it? And is there a monthly fee? How does that all work out? Yeah, sure. So how, here's what we have right now. So SomTV.com is where you sign up. That's where it's cheapest. It's seventy four ninety nine for a year, or nine ninety nine a month. And you can, and then there's a week free trial, so you can watch it and see, you know, if you like it or not, without having to pay. But basically, we have apps on every device, or most major devices worldwide. So if you think like Netflix, you know, it's on your iPad, you download the Netflix app, and then you watch it, same as us. So if you go to the App Store on an Android or that, or on your smart TV or your Apple TV or your Roku or Amazon Fire, you download Som TV, and then you just sign in and you watch it in the way you would watch anything, um, or you can watch it. I suppose, on your computer the same way you'd watch uh, Netflix. So, SomTV.com. Amazing. Yeah. Now, uh, for you, you, meant, you referenced this before. For you as a filmmaker, uh, if you're 
bringing something to Netflix or you know one of the one of the streaming giants like that. Uh, how does yeah. that work? I mean, do, do they basically buy your project from you and then you have no more control of what they do from it from there? As a filmmaker, what's that process like? You know, there are so many answers to that because there is no one answer. So basically, sometimes most of the stuff you see on a Netflix or a Hulu that are originals were actually purchased by them. And that would be a very, 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 like, very high percentage mm-hmm. of, of things. They bought it at Sundance, and then they bought the copyright, or they bought it for 50 years, and so it becomes a Netflix original. You know, in some cases, they actually make films, um, you know, from beginning to end with a production company or something like that, but, and that's growing. But for the most part, they pick that stuff up and brand it then as, uh, as Netflix, and, which makes a lot of sense considering there's a lot of people just out there making stuff, trying to find a home for it. And in a lot of cases, some stuff you find on Netflix, like Goodfellas, is owned by a studio and it's being licensed, just like anything mm-hmm. you see on TV. But other stuff they actually own. It's, it's a very, I'll tell you right now, there are very few things more Byzantine and difficult to understand than <laughs> film and TV licensing stuff. I mean, I would say, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a very weird world. That's <laughs> sort of how that works. I, I can imagine. So uh, the latest project now uh, is The Delicacy uh, very cool film, very in- unique idea where you're looking into sort of the people and the story behind uh, sort of this, you know, this one ingredient or this, this one element of a plate. And it's, it's such a unique way of telling the story of that. Uh, where did you get the idea for, or, you know, how, how did the idea come about for, to tell the story of, uh, of the delicacy? Well, yeah, this movie, oh boy, this movie <laughs> is, as, as a director, I, w- I would strongly say to people if they want to become a director, don't make a film out on the open ocean. Don't make a film that takes place around great white sharks. Do your, just, just stick to studio stuff and make things nice and safe and easy. No animals, kids, or, you know. Anyway, so this, this film was, I have, I have always, always, always wanted to uh, make uh, nature documentaries. I've always loved the format, the, the, the genre, all of this stuff. But the one thing that always interests me is like nature documentaries are never really about people and people are animals too. And so I wanted to try to figure out how do you make a film where you follow people when it is a nature documentary? And I kind of, over time, I happened to also be obsessed with sea urchin and the food. And I started my career as an underwater photographer. So I had been looking at what is a project where I can sort of do all of these very strange things. And I know this doesn't sound sane. It's not. Um, <laughs> And so I took my love of sea urchin, my love of diving, my love of, you know, torturous filmmaking, and I said, look, I'm going to make a film about sea urchin. And I, I swear to you, everybody said, why on earth would you do this? <laughs> make another wine film. It's a very comfortable place. You can drink during it. You're no chance of getting bit by a shark or any of this stuff. But it kind of came about because, listen, fishermen are some of the most fascinating, I mean, vulgar, wonderful, sage-like people I've ever worked with. And so I, I really wanted to get these kind of people into a film. And then also, I think there's this element of everybody kind of wants to know where their food comes from. But I was more interested in that, but also, what about food that you don't eat for sustenance? Like, you know, urchin is not bread. It's not rice. <laughs> it's not a steak. I mean, this doesn't fill you up. You eat this, this like in oysters or caviar. You eat these things for a very different reason than mm-hmm. I'm hungry. And so, God, it was, it was something that I, kinda, I became more and more obsessed about 
this concept of a delicacy and why and what. And do we eat it because it's rare? Do we eat it because it's expensive? Do we eat it because it tastes, you know, it's not like it tastes, you don't eat it because it's great. You eat it because it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It, and there's a big difference. I, I don't know. So anyways, all of those things. And then this film took, I mean, six years we shot this thing. So, you know, that's a, I don't even know if that was an answer to your original question. It's just a matter <laughs> of just, it's just such a, this, this particular movie was definitely like, you know, an endurance test as far as a documentary filmmaker goes to see, can we pull it off? And I, I think we did, you know. I thought you guys did a, a really great job of, of the movie. Um, I was able to watch it um, this morning. And oh, the great. cast of characters that you brought in and just kind of showcased, you know, what their life is like and um, what some of those um, vulnerabilities or um, threats are to them and their everyday life and how essentially their, um, their lives have been changed because um, a lot of these guys were abalone divers before, and then they kind of migrated over into sea urchin. Is that right? That's right. No, that's absolutely right. And it's also like, think about the fact that one animal becoming really rare, nearly extinct, that they don't mm-hmm. begot their next job. I mean, they basically, they, they transitioned from abalone when it became nope, no more commercial fishery to sea urchin when no Westerners, for the most part, I mean, I know Italians and Greeks, they eat sea urchin and things, but, but for the most part, Californians were not like, give me sea urchin to eat. All that stuff, they were fishing for something they didn't even eat. It all mostly went off to Asian markets. Is it? And that's, to me, this was, that's why this is a nature documentary. It's just like, look at the behavior of these weird animals, which are people. They put on wetsuits, they go down in the water, they grab these spiky balls that don't have a brain, at least by our definition, that live forever, and they, they just meander around there. And then also, there's great white sharks, dangerous <laughs> kelp you can get caught up in. So why do they do that? And I get money, yes. But there are plenty of other jobs you can make 800 to to $1,000 a day doing. There really are. So I don't know. You know, it's just what a, what a fascinating world for a filmmaker to play in. It's kind of how I felt. Of course, it was dangerous as hell, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, are you, uh, so, I mean, you mentioned that you were an underwater um, filmmaker before, but is the ocean a comfortable place for you to be in? Like, if you're, you know, filming this documentary, being on a boat, is that a place of comfort? Or, you know, do you do you get nauseous, as some do on the water? How was that experience for you? Well, no, no seasickness for me, but, you know, you have to understand, picture a sea urchin boat. This is not, when somebody pictures a boat, you think of, what are the amenities? How big is it? Is there a bathroom? You know, things like that. Hey, no bathrooms on these boats. They're about the size of a pickup truck. So it's, you know, you put two people in the bed of a pickup truck. There's not a lot of room to move. Now, add a, add a giant winch on that boat that swings around. Add people who are working for their own, like their, their, their rent. I mean, they're working their butts off. And then throw two crew members who are shooting on. We shot the whole movie on film. So the cameras we shot on weighed oh, I don't know, between 28 and 70 pounds because they're from the 1970s. They're all made out of metal. I mean, so we're all celluloid, no video on this film. Wow. So, yeah, it was a a very interesting process in that regard that there's just not a lot of space and it's not a comfortable environment to film on. No seasickness. But the minute you get in the water with them, you know, these are not people who are like, they didn't raise their hand and say, I want to be in a film. I had to convince them to be in a movie. It's not like sommeliers or chefs where they go, okay, this can benefit me somehow. 
sea urchin divers, they go, why the hell would I want to be in a movie? <laughs> like, what would, what would be the reason? And so it's the first time I ever made a film. It's my fifth feature film. It's the first time I ever made a film where the people weren't like, sure, I'll be in a movie. They all sort of look at me like, why? And then on top of it, you get in the water, and you have this giant camera of the housing, and you're essentially following people who they, they're not actors. They just go to work. They get down, they go to work. So they're not really like, are you okay back there? They're just like picking up sea urchins and <laughs> assuming I'm fine. So, I mean, comfortable is not how I would describe filming on a boat or on the water. And I think any major production, I mean, we're a, we're a, doc, we're a little documentary, but any major production like Jaws or any of these films that's shot actually on boats, Master and Command or something, they, the first thing they tell you when they get done is, Never shoot on a boat again. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> and they had like large crews and real money. So I can tell you as like a as a documentarian who did not have real money or a large crew, don't shoot on a boat if you can avoid it. But I will also say this was a hell of an experience. And I mean one of one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had as a filmmaker. And I am so honored that this movie is finally out there for people to see. How much mm-hmm. equipment or I mean or how much do you have to adapt to your equipment filming in a setting like that than if it was kind of a controlled land environment? Is it, uh, you know, how much lesser, is it less or is it just different? Uh, you know, it's tough to answer because essentially every time we went out to film, it was two different worlds. So we're shooting on a boat. Now this is two of us because normally we'd have at least a sound guy and then my cinematographer would have at least a camera operator who could help. And then there'd be me. So you're talking about a crew of four is pretty lean but we had two people. So I'm doing sound and directing and conducting the interviews and the rest of the stuff where Jackson is reloading, you know, you have to reload the film cameras. Um, those are not like, uh, it's not like video where you just go, let's change the memory card. You go into a dark place, you take the film out with a special changing bag, you reload it all in the dark. And um, so, but up on, up on a boat, that is a dry environment. You've got to keep everything dry. You've got to keep everything clean. There's splashes. You're, you're careful. It's like a, you think of it, but then once you get underwater, you know, that camera's in a watertight housing. You're going up to 100 feet deep or so. And you, you're, I mean, it couldn't be, it's like, it's like shooting in your backyard versus shooting in outer space. It's how different these sets are as far as, but yet all the gear we have to take on to one set because of the way it sort of had to work. And so... Man, I, and then, you know, the thing that was really the most difficult about the movie, from a technical standpoint, was all the kelp. And uh, all that, you know, you see those those giant plants that go from the bottom. A, they're, they're quite dangerous because you get tangled them, but it makes it tough to move a very large camera through. So we would do everything on the housing we could to make sure there was no buttons or hooks or anything sticking out to catch anything. We would try to get everything real sleek so I could swim through all these plants to follow the divers without getting caught because that ruins the shot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it's a weird, it's kind of one of these movies where the stories around the movie are as wild as the actual movie. I mean, you know, I could go on forever about this stuff. It's wild. Right. <laughs> What's funny about it, um, we, we, one of the, the chefs you feature in this is uh, Kyle Connaughton from uh, Single Thread in our area. Uh, what's funny is you know, we had the, the opportunity to eat, eat there last year, and sort of if people aren't familiar with that experience, it's sort of the, the menus are sort of curated, um, you know, in advance to your tastes and what you like and that that kind of thing. And I think the most discussion we had was about the sea urchin because I mean mm-hmm. it's not something. 
you generally know what it tastes like. You don't know it in the context of you know how it works into a meal. And so, I think more than anything, in advance, talking about you know what, what does it taste like? What is it? I don't. Do I want one? <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's funny to see that the story kind of. Um, played out on film like that for uh, for yeah. something that's so kind of unknown. Yeah, well, I, you know, Kyle, so first of all, that, that, that restaurant, Single Thread, is just, it's a, it's a tremendous place. I mean, he is, the word genius gets thrown around, but he really is a genius. I mean, it's kind of like a, a conductor almost in the way mm-hmm. that things come to your table and how you eat and the order you eat. But he has said to me, you know, we have to ask, is there anything you don't eat will you eat sea urchin? Because a lot of people will just go, no, based on principle. You know, just like, I wouldn't eat that thing. And uh, it's and that's just another reason why I had to make this movie. Um, it's, I think that particular thing says so much about where you were brought up, how you were brought up, and kind of, I think it takes generations to just go, sure, I'll eat that type of a thing without batting an eye, whether I've tried it or not. Right. And, uh, you know, us, you know, us Americans, you know, that I think all three of us are, it's just, that's just not part of our thing to go, I'll try a insect. I'll try a, you know, I'll eat. But if you think about this from a standpoint of weird food, a lobster, if you really look at a lobster, it is one of the craziest. I mean, you're basically eating, there's no, there's no difference between eating that or a grasshopper or a tarantula from a biological standpoint. You're eating really? an arthropod. Oh, well, I mean, look, take a minute and look at a live lobster, right, live lobster right in the face. That thing is an incredibly bizarre, it's an incredibly bizarre animal. And so we will eat things like that, and you'll eat it whole. You'll look at a lobster, how strange it looks like a giant bug, but yet the rest of the world eats bugs, and it's not a problem. It can, it's a large part of their protein. But Americans would be like, I could never imagine eating a scorpion. But I, want, I challenge anybody to look at a scorpion, and then look at a lobster, just put them side by side. They are <laughs> incredibly similar as far as biologically, family. And this is really just like an ethnographic type thing where we sort of just draw these lines. And we say, this thing's okay, and this thing's weird, and this thing makes me nervous. But lobster's a luxury. I don't know. I've always found it very fascinating. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think with the sea urchin, obviously... It is a delicacy, it is a luxury, and it's something that, as you said, a lot of people aren't really familiar with. And it's such an interesting color. The The way that it looks on the plate is very, it it, it doesn't look really like any, we can't, there's nothing that you can really relate it to, right? And so I think a lot of people have a hard time with that. But I think, you know, the more open-minded you can be about at least trying something and giving something a chance. And Obviously, if you're going to go to a place like Single Thread where you know that you're going to get the best of the best presented to you in the best way possible, like, try it. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't let that opportunity pass. And if you still, if you try it and you don't like it, then, you know, you can at least say that you tried. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I, but I also think, you know, the challenge that myself and I think any other filmmaker has is uh, if I were to just make this film for people who have and want to eat sea urchin, you know, I'm probably not going to have the most commercial film. So the goal here is to try to make a film that whether you, kind of like Psalm, I was not making Psalm for like, you're a big wine drinker. I was making it for, here's a good story. So the hope mm-hmm. is that people can watch this movie and go, all right, look, I don't want to eat sea urchin, but holy smokes. <laughs> you know, so at least there's that hopeful element in this. But I, I do agree with you on the, on the sea urchin thing. You should try it. I think, I think sea urchin is, 
I have, to be, I have to be careful how I say this, but I think it is like when you see a city for the very first time. If you go and you go to Los Angeles for the first time you've ever been to Los Angeles and you spend a lot of time around Los Angeles airport and you go to the wrong places, it's a huge city. You're going to have a terrible time and you're going to tell everybody I hate Los Angeles for the rest of your life. <laughs> if you see it with the right person, Los Angeles is a hell of a fun town. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great history and a lot of fun restaurants and whatever else. And then you go, LA's great, I can't wait to go back. And I feel like urchin and, and a lot of these other foods are like that. If you have it with somebody who's passionate and you try the right version of it and you ease yourself into it rather than jumping off onto something crazy, you become evangelized really quickly. And that's why you find these people who are so nuts about oysters or caviar or any of these food items. And they're just obsessed about it. That's why. They've, they've, they've had the right entry point. It's single thread. You guys are very lucky. That's a pretty good entry point right there. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, now, are you? Is there any thought of doing sort of like you've done with the Psalm series with the delicacy, where you're looking at another, um, you know, an, another item, and you know the the people behind it, and uh, telling more stories like that? Absolutely. Oysters are next. Ah, very cool. Love that. And now yep, with and the delicacy, the caviar, the caviar um, industry, and yeah, we have we have we have planned this for for quite a while. I did not know this film was going to take me so damn long to make. So <laughs> you know, but we have, we have been planning. There's, there's no question. The stories are wild in, in all regards on these things. Now, how do you? It, I mean, because there, there's so many different ways you can go with it. I mean, are, are you talking to a lot of chefs, or you know, how are you finding sort of where the most interesting stories exist? Um, what's part of that that research process, process like? Well, I think part of it is to try to pair the food itself. You always have to go look. What what? How am I going to take the? Whose eyes am I going to see it through? And obviously. If I was to see this movie through the Japanese perspective on sea urchin, they would have gone, well, what's the big deal? This is just lunch. <laughs> I mean, to them, it's not a weird food. So that's why I chose to tell it from a very European white guy perspective in going, this is weird to us. So that I could, so that I could bring in people like Yoon Ha, who's a master smile over at Bennu in San Francisco, or Haiwen Lu. And these are people who, you know, they have Asian families, they have Asian background, and they look at it as like, let me explain to you why you know, we're obsessed with this and why it's not so strange for us. So they can come in as experts in the way that people sort of have a different kaleidoscope of looking at a single thing. And I think when you, when you go to approach any of these things, you have to figure out what perspective, where is it from? And that's why we started in Pompeii instead of Hokkaido, Japan, mm-hmm. because I wanted a familiarity for who I believe was going to be the target audience for this movie. Plus I'm not Japanese. You know, my, my, I came into this as a Clevelander who had never had sea urchin until he came to California or traveled to Greece or whatever else. So I wanted to make this a kind of personal thing. And so when it comes to oysters, there's a lot of perspectives you can do on that. I personally find the story of New Orleans and Massachusetts to be incredibly interesting from an oyster standpoint because those two places, in a lot of cases, were resting on oysters during their history for a lot of time. You know, when the lobster fisheries would die in Boston, that people would be oystermen. And the same goes for New Orleans. I mean, some of the oldest American companies in history that took place when it was French and then Spanish and then, you know, and then slavery existed there and then it was abolished. But these companies stayed through the whole process shucking oysters in New Orleans. And so for me, it's kind of like, where's the perspective and how do you do that? So to answer that, I think you, you try to find a place where the food and the people 
their stories are the same. They can't separate them, you know? And that's, that's kind of the best answer I can give for that. <laughs> Long answer, but... <laughs> now, uh, you were originally going to uh, come out to, I believe, launch the movie uh, in this area with, uh, with our friend uh, Jesse Katz at his new uh, Aperture yeah. Winery. Uh, is, he, is he involved uh, with Psalm TV to, uh, in terms of any of the programming, or uh, he just wanted to host you guys? No, no, we want, absolutely. So, so the, the plan, I mean, Je- first of all, I think Jesse's just an incredible winemaker. That place is gorgeous. Um, and he's just kind of this this lightning rod of, of talent. And yeah, I mean, we want very much to work with him and the plan was to do quite a bit. But we were going to launch the delicacy at Aperture with Kyle from Single Thread making all sorts of food for it. It was, I mean, it was really an incredible marriage. His Chenin Blanc is really an amazing seafood wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesse Katz right. um, and Aperture. So it was kind of a, a match made in heaven as a wine that is, you know, from France, found a footing here in America, and here's this American making. To me, there's a lot of themes that sort of crossed. But, you know, unfortunately, with COVID, we could not do that premiere. And so it went straight to Sound TV. But, yeah, the plan absolutely is to uh, to do that. And I think that event's still going to happen if we can still, you know, if we can... Uh, I'm hoping urchin turns out to be the the cure for COVID. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we were supposed to do that. So, yeah. And now as we go forward here, uh, how how frequently... Should we look for for new material coming to Psalm TV? Is are you doing you know monthly updates? How how quickly or how frequently you're adding uh, new content to the to the platform? Yeah, it's a good question. So during during this whole lockdown thing, we have been almost every single day. There's something there. Oh, wow. And we have been working very very hard. I mean, some of those pieces happen to be ten or twelve minutes long, but in a lot of cases, we try to drop multiple pieces in a day or whatever. And so. Delicacy is kind of the very first of, of quite a bit coming, you know, in a larger space. And so, but there's stuff, there's new stuff at least weekly, but we have beat that by quite a bit recently. Right. Nice. Well, we have a, uh, a, a very specific tradition here, how we end out each episode. So we'll give you the challenge and see, uh, see how you do with it. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> so on a, uh, on a good night, uh, what would be your ideal pairing of uh, music, wine, and food. All right, I'm a big. Uh, I love. Uh, all right, my ideal pairing. Okay, I'll go with uh, music. I'll take the Beastie Boys. Ah. Uh-huh. I'll take. Uh, I'll take some. I'll take some Beastie Boys. Is like any any almost any one of their albums will work for me. From a food standpoint, man, I, I guess right now I'm in a big sushi kick. So I'll take Beastie Boys and sushi. And then for the for a pairing, I've had a lot of wine recently. Can I have sake? Is that okay? Oh, do, there you go. Can I do so- sake or a Japanese beer with Beastie Boys and sushi? Is that okay? Love it. That's great. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. I think you just passed. That was great. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Uh, it, it is uh, com. You can find out more. Uh, it's on all the different streaming platforms. You can find the app and uh, dig into all the different content on there. Uh, he is filmmaker Jason Wise. Check out the movie The Delicacy. So much more to come. Uh, I mean, excited to see everything you come up with down the road. And, and thank you so much for, uh, for taking time to, to join us today. Hey, you two. Thanks for having me on. Really cool.